service and your giving and all that you're doing. Uh, I want to say also a huge thank you to everyone that uh, helped during Night to Shine this weekend uh, and getting the the church back together yesterday, um, having hosted uh, some 500, some, I don't know, a lot of people, a bunch of folks. Uh, and we had a great time, and it was an incredible thing. I know you've probably seen a lot of pictures on Facebook, and you'll continue to see more, um, I'm sure, as the days go on. But it's just, it was an incredible opportunity, uh, and we appreciate everybody that helped out, uh, that made that possible. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, all that is happening then. Also, not this Wednesday night, but next Wednesday night, it's our annual business meeting. Um, if you would like to join us there uh, in Jonesboro for that, you're welcome to. We will still have service for uh, kids and teenagers here. Uh, they will be, uh, the teenagers will be mixed in with the adults that night uh, that choose to show up. Uh, but there are a few of us that will have to attend the business meeting. Um, so please uh, make yourself available for either of those things that you would like to be a part of. Uh, thank you for doing so. Uh, we're continuing to have service here that night um, in uh, uh, one, uh, at the request of Pastor Matt, um, two, uh, to continue to maintain the incredible momentum that we have going uh, for us on our Wednesday evenings, uh, which has quickly become the largest service that we have, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. So today, <clears throat> I'm going to preach a message to you. You probably uh, would like to take out your notebooks. If you're going to want to take notes today, uh, this is something that you have likely heard from me. Uh, the Lord has released me to preach uh, a few messages um, uh, over the next couple of weeks that are... Um, uh, you may hear uh, some familiar things come from them. Uh, but this is one in particular that has been uh, a message of ours, uh, and I call it ours. Uh, it is something that I will likely write a book about one day, uh, and I'm excited to preach that message to you. Uh, but I want to talk to you about some unusual leadership today. Uh, you, I want to talk to you about some circumstances that lead uh, to one, unusual leadership, and not just unusual leadership, but um, having unusual favor as well. Uh, and we're going to see two individuals that operate in both of these things. One, the leader, the king, uh, makes some very unique decisions that are unusual to what would have been the norm. And then there is a recipient of those decisions that is shown unusual favor. And in our lives, we've all been in places, in times. I want to talk to you about being in an uncomfortable place for just a minute. In our lives, we've all been in places that we'd probably rather not be. You've maybe lived in a home or a place that you knew you wanted to be somewhere else. Maybe you've worked at a job where you show up and you say, I would rather be anywhere but where I am right now. If you've ever traveled much, you've probably uh, been in a, in a hotel at some point that you uh, it wasn't exactly what you thought it would be. And you thought... <clears throat> I think I'd rather be somewhere else right now. You walk in there and there's a bug in your bed or uh, you walk in there and there's hair on the bathroom floor or you walk in there and um, the bed isn't made uh, and you say, you know what? I think I need to find somewhere else to be. You've probably conversely had a similar experience in, in a different way where you walked in and you were shocked by how nice everything was and you were pleased very much so to be right where you were and it turned out a little better than you hoped or expected that it would be all of a sudden now you have a new standard to which you are used to or to which you hold yourself to if you've stayed um and, and in a lot of times for especially for you adults in here if you've worked at a job before that compensated you well for what you did and another job came available to you that did not pay quite as much as the one that you're currently at, but you would like that job better. You would like to change to this other job, but it doesn't pay quite as much. And so you have to have a conversation with that employer and you discuss these things like, I have a standard of living. 
This is what I am accustomed to doing. I'm used to having this or that. Now, I realize that that may ruffle a feather or two or make you feel a little uncomfortable, but there is a standard to which every person typically lives to. If you are used to living in this way or that way, and there's change that's associated with that, sometimes that can create a little bit of discomfort and how we are, or it can create a little bit of, um, a little bit of new uh, desires uh, within yourself. If you go and you stay in the Disney Resort, I've never been uh, and stayed in the Disney Resort. I've been to Disneyland, but or Disney World, whichever one's in Orlando, uh, I, and stayed in those places. But if you take your little girl there and she stays in the Princess Castle, guess what? Next time you don't get to stay in the Holiday Inn. You have to stay in the princess castle. Why? Because that is her standard and her expectation of what should be right then and uh, whatnot. So while those are relatable examples, you've probably had seasons or places or even relationships that you know go deeper than just appreciation. There are seasons and places and even relationships that you are called to be a part of. And some of you probably feel called to a job or a group of people. And many of you in here feel some type of call in the ministry. And you may even feel called to a particular city or in that case, a relationship, or you feel called to be your spouse's spouse. <clears throat> However, being called to a place doesn't always mean it's a comfortable and welcoming place. Just because you're called to be in a place or a season doesn't mean that you'll be welcomed into it or that it will be comfortable for you. David, King David, somebody that we're going to talk a lot about today. King David, one of my favorite, my favorite person in the Bible outside of Jesus. A 15-year-old boy. He's 15. He's anointed to be the king of over Israel at 15 years old. He was called to sit on the throne. He was called to lead a nation, but he was attacked in the palace. David's a young man. You know about David. You've heard about him. He's the one that killed the giant. He's the one that fought the, the, the lion and the bear in, in the wilderness there to save his sheep. He's the one that stood toe-to-toe with Goliath there. David's a, a pretty uh, sharp shot, to say the least. He's a great young man. David is a shepherd boy over a small, might I add, a small flock of sheep. How do you know that? Because it was something that his brothers used against him when he found himself in the camp of the Israeli army standing before Goliath. They looked at him and said, why are you here? Shouldn't you be back tending that small flock of sheep? David encountered great adversity, not just on the battlefield, but in his own home. He encountered that great adversity. Why? Because his brothers were jealous of the anointing and the oil that was on his life. He's the youngest of them all. In fact, his own father looked over him when the prophet Samuel came into the house. And Samuel's mourning over God moving off of King Saul. And he said, the spirit of the Lord had been taken from Saul. And the anointing was being placed on David. Samuel went and looked in the house of Jesse and said, I'm going to come to anoint one of your sons. And he brings every one of them before him. And he doesn't even mention that he has another son until Samuel, the prophet, asked him. He said, where is the other? Do you have another son? And he said, I do. He's out tending sheep. David was a young man. He's the youngest. He's 15 years old. What kind of experience does he have? See, the Lord's not always looking for your experience. He's looking for your heart. He's looking to see the positioning of your heart and not just the experience of your hands. If he would have been looking for experience and not just for the heart, he would have chosen any one of the brothers ahead of David. 
He would have chosen Eliab. Why not? Eliab was a strapping young man that had war experience. He's a warrior. You would think that the the leader of the nation should have to have some type of battle-hardened acumen about him. You don't want somebody leading the nation that has never led a small group. And so David's out there in the field doing two things. Three, I guess he's watching sheep. He's slinging his shot out there. He's practicing how to throw that rock out of that sling. And he's singing. He's worshiping the Lord. David, 15 years old, is anointed to lead the nation. And I've preached before about how it wasn't his gifting that put him in the, or his, even the anointing that was on his life that put him in the palace in the first place. What was it? It was his worship. David is out there prophesying and worshiping to the Lord with a harp, sitting in that field, watching a small flock of sheep, and then a man inside the king's chamber recognizes the gifting on in, or the worship in David and brings him into the palace of King Saul, who's sitting on the throne that David was anointed to sit on. And when David plays, it calms Saul down until an evil spirit from the Lord comes over him and he reaches and grabs the javelin behind him and throws it at David. David ducks and misses the javelin by probably mere inches and he jumps up and he has to run out. But he comes back. And then Saul would bring attack and attack and attack again against him as David would sit there and play before him. He was called to sit on the throne. He was invited to the throne room as a musician and a worshiper, but he was attacked in the place that he was anointed to be. You ever noticed that the places that God wants you to be sometimes feel like the hardest places to be? The places that he wants you to be in seem like the place that is filled with the most adversity and the most attack. God, I thought that it was going to be easier than this. David's anointed to be the king and he goes and sits in the throne room. And the first thing that happens is the the king that's sitting on the throne begins to attack him. Do not be discouraged when you feel the pressure and attack of the enemy in the place that you're called to be. Opposition doesn't denote misinterpretation. I'll say that again. Opposition doesn't denote misinterpretation. Just because it's hard doesn't mean God didn't lead you to it. Just because you got adversity in it, just because things didn't work the way you thought it was going to be, doesn't mean that God is no longer in this. See, we think that, and people preach all of the time, that when it's the right time, the Lord's just going to open the door. That's right. But that doesn't mean that just because it hasn't opened yet doesn't mean that God isn't behind it waiting on you. It doesn't mean that just because it's hard that you get to leave. I don't like it. It's not easy. I thought that following the call of God was going to open up blessing and increase over my life. It will. Stay with it. But it's not all a bed of roses in a field of lilies. In fact, a lot of following the Lord requires sacrifice. I I read more about following the Lord producing sacrifice than it does blessing. The fruit of it is good. And we like to eat the fruit of our labor. But it's, it's sometimes hard when it's just labor right now and no fruit. David, we can't get discouraged because opposition doesn't denote misinterpretation. What does that mean? Just because it's hard doesn't mean that I've missed him. Paul, the apostle, the one who wrote most of the New Testament, tried three times to go into the, the continent of Asia. He's trying to plant churches in Asia. And what's he doing? He gets there and the door closes. He gets there and the door closes again. He gets there and the door closes again. He has a dream of a man from Macedonia with his hand out. 
And he said, well, then we must be going to Macedonia. And so he gets in there and he goes to Macedonia. The Lord has him going to Macedonia. The door opens wide open for him to be here. He walks into the country, starts preaching, gets ready to plant a church. And what's the first thing that happens to him? They beat him with rods and throw him in jail. Does that mean that he missed God? Nope. The Lord opened the door for him to be there. Things worked the way that they were supposed to. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it isn't God. Just because you have to fight through some things doesn't mean that the Lord didn't lead you to it. The Israelites, when they crossed over Jordan and into the land of Canaan, the first thing they had to do was fight giants. One of the first things they had to do. They had to, they had to go to great walled cities like Jericho and overcome them. Just because you've entered the promise of God doesn't mean that the fight has ended. David, this 15-year-old boy, is anointed to be king. He was anointed, but he wasn't yet appointed. He was anointed to be the king, but wasn't given the right to sit on the throne yet. If there's one thing about serving God, it is trusting his timing. Just because you have been called to something doesn't mean that you are immediately prepared to step into it. Stepping into a season or a place too early or late can be both dangerous and wrong. In a world that's driven by the desire for comfort, learn to trust God enough to trade comfortability for the calling. We're all called to serve God in some form or fashion. Everyone. I don't know if I'm supposed to preach. Okay, but you ain't, you're still called to serve God. And what does that mean? You're doing what he tells you to do. We're called to serve God in some form or fashion, but to the degree to which we can be used is connected to the degree to which we trust him. Do we trust him enough to take us out of comfort and into the calling? Do you trust him enough to leave the thing that feels safe to go into the thing that you know is right? Do you trust him enough to train comfort for a calling. David's got to trust him. He's called to sit. He's anointed. Not just called. He is anointed by the prophet of God. To sit on the throne of Israel. But he's got to lead the field. Field's not always easy. Sometimes you have to leave the field. So that you can sit on the throne. David would eventually be able to ascend to the throne of Israel. Like he was anointed to. However, it would take him another 15 years, if I'm doing my math right, it would take him another 15 years to ascend to that place. In that process, he would again have to fight a lion and a bear in the field and stand toe-to-toe with a giant and then overcome the, the condescension of his brothers who did not care about him going up into this. And then at the end of this, not only did he make friends with Saul, but he also found himself being, being in blood covenant with Saul's son, Jonathan. Boy, I could preach an hour on Jonathan. But Saul, David would ascend to the throne that Saul sat on after Saul and his best friend, Jonathan, both died in battle. He would ascend to the throne that he was anointed to sit on, but it would come with great adversity. David took an unusual approach to his ascension. David, having already broke the mold in every area of his life, being chosen over his brothers, defending the flock against animal attack, killing a giant, he continued to do so as king. And we can see the unusual leadership unfold in 2 Samuel chapter number 9. 2 Samuel chapter number 9, verse number 1. I'm going to read these, these 13 verses to you real quickly. Then David said, he's the king now. David's the king now. He's not just a shepherd boy. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, David's sitting on the throne as king over Israel. Then David said, is there anyone left of the house of Saul so that I could show kindness for Jonathan's sake? I'm going to pause. 
the newly throned king normally executes everyone in the lineage of the predecessor to which he followed. Every one of Saul's family should be executed by sword at the, at the ascension of David to the king of Israel. Why? Because if he doesn't, at some point, there's going to be somebody rise up out of that family lineage to try to claim the throne from the sitting king. David looks through the family of Saul to find someone that he can show kindness to. For why? For Jonathan's sake. He's not doing this to honor Saul. He's doing this to honor the relationship that he had with Jonathan. There is coming a day that we will stand before God himself and it will only be because of Jesus that we have any reason to go beyond where we are in that moment. We will be shown mercy and kindness not for the sake of a king but for the sake of of Jesus. He said, is there anyone in the family of Saul that remains to whom I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Jonathan was a little bit of a backstabber. I'm not going to go into that. Verse 2. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they summoned him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. Then the king said, Is there, anyone, is there no one remaining of the house of Saul to whom I could show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan, one who is disabled in both feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he's in the house of my shear, the son of Emil in Lodabar. Then King David sent messengers who brought him from the house of my shear, the son of Emil from Lodabar. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth, he said, here's your servant. Then David said to him, do not be afraid, for I will assuredly show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul. And you yourself shall eat at my table regularly. And again, he prostrated himself and said, What is your servant that you should be concerned about a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, Everything that belonged to Saul. And to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. You and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him. And you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson will have food to eat. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, In accordance with everything that my lord the king commands, his servant, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in the house of Ziba were servants to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he ate at the king's table regularly. And he was disabled in his two feet. From the perspective of David, things are different than it is for Mephibosheth. I want to preach to you for just a few more minutes today about what it is to sit at the king's table. From the perspective of David, you have to think about what it must have been. He's lost his leader and his best friend 
And now, in his ascension to the throne, David is looking for someone that he can show kindness to. Mephibosheth is crippled in his feet. Why? He wasn't born that way. If you go back and read and look at what happened to Mephibosheth, he didn't choose this pain. Mephibosheth was shown mercy because of Jonathan. David spared Mephibosheth because of Jonathan. He spared him because of the relationship that he had with his father. But Mephibosheth found himself, he's, he's not a young man. This is not a child at this point. This is somebody that has age. Well, how do you know that? Because he has a son already. Mephibosheth is hiding out now in Lodabar. If you look at what Lodabar means, it literally means no pasture. What, is that, what, what do you mean by that? There's nowhere to feed flocks. There's nowhere to plant gardens. There's nowhere to get food. So Mephibosheth goes out into the wilderness to hide. Why? Because he knows what the custom is. He knows what the problem is about to be for him. Mephibosheth goes and hides in the wilderness. Why? Because he's expecting death. Can you imagine being Mephibosheth? You're sitting there. In your house, you're waiting for the moment that the king realizes that you and you got some family, by the way, that y'all are still alive. The moment that news is brought back to the palace that the king has died and the son of the king has also died. See, Mephibosheth was safe as long as Jonathan was alive. But the moment that Jonathan drew his last breath, death became impending upon Mephibosheth. And so, in the hurry to leave, to hide in a place where nobody will look to find us, a nurse picks up young Mephibosheth and runs out the door. In her hurry, drops him becomes lame in his feet. Can't use his feet. He can't walk. They didn't have prosthetics. I'm sure they had some type of, you know, very crude bracing or something that they they probably fashioned uh, so that they could walk a little differently maybe. But Mephibosheth, no doubt, has something about him that makes him. Mephibosheth doesn't stand a chance against David. Remember what they chanted about David. Saul has slain thousands, but David Tens of thousands. David killed so many. Do you understand that David was a, was a mighty warrior? David was fierce in the eyes of all who would oppose Israel. How do you know this? Because David killed so many men that he wasn't even allowed to build the temple. David had blood on his hands. This is a serious dude. David is looking for Mephibosheth. Why? If you're Mephibosheth, you're looking around like, oh, um, this is going to be the end for me. Uh, there's no more hope. And then all of a sudden, can you imagine being in the house of Mephibosheth there with your family and you hear the stampede of horses and chariots rolling up to your doorstep? No doubt that the stallions from the Israeli military have found their way down the driveway into the yard of a place with no grass, no greenery. There's no plants. There's nothing good there. It's a desolate place. How could they have found him there? And then all of a sudden, Mephibosheth hears the knock at the door. Open up in the name of the king. Surely fear strikes Mephibosheth in his heart. The time has come. My death is impending on me and my family. How are they going to kill me? What's going to happen to my children? What's going to happen to my son? What's going to happen to my home? Are they going to burn it? Am I going to be burned? Are they going to burn me in it? Are they just going to, are they going to torture? What's going to happen next to me? And they bring him in and he falls on his face before the king. And he says, Mephibosheth? He said, I am your servant. He can't fight back. He's helpless. He said, 
why would you look on a dead dog like me? And he said, you, and he looked at the servant of Saul, the one who was closest to him. And he said, this guy loved Saul. So there's no doubt that he loved Mephibosheth too, because this was the grandson of the king. And he looked at him and he said, Ziba, all of your servants, the ones that served Saul, your master, are about to be his. And Mephibosheth gets treated differently at this point. Let me move forward. If you're taking notes of something you need to write down, Mephibosheth didn't choose his pain. His pain was the expense of someone else's mistake. Not all pain is your fault. People can hurt you. There's no doubt about that. People will hurt you. They'll drop you. They'll let you down. And the hardest pain to deal with is the pain that wasn't self-inflicted. The worst pain is to deal with when it's inflicted by those that care for you. The one who is supposed to care for Mephibosheth was the one who crippled him. Choose progress over pain. Write it down. Choose progress over pain. The place that you're in doesn't have to be the place that you finish. Mephibosheth started in a place of no pasture and no growth, but he ended up sitting at the table of the king. He started in a place that was filled with pain and fear, but he ended up in a place of protection and peace. He started out in a place that smelled certain death, but ended up in the palace of provision. But in order for him to move past this pain and fear, he had to leave. He had to leave the place of no pasture. He had to leave the place of no growth. He had to leave the place of pain. I'm not an advocate for running from your problems, but sometimes if you want real growth, you got to change your seat. You can't sit in the seat of no pasture and expect to see growth. You can't sit in Lodabar and expect the same results as if you're sitting at the king's table. But see, the salvation of Mephibosheth's family was brought about because he was willing to take the step up. He was willing to give up the seat of hiddenness and seclusion in Lodabar. It was a place that he thought that nobody would look at him. He felt judgment everywhere he went. But because he was willing to take a step up and go to the king's place and sit at the king's table, then he doesn't have to fear anymore. He doesn't have to worry ever again about whether somebody's going to kill him. He has the protection of the king now. Second thing, stretch to your seat. If you're going to move from a place of desolation to a place of fruitfulness, you're going to have to stretch. The life that you have been accustomed to is changing. The standard of living is going up. The place you used to be in is gone. The life that you used to live in isn't there. If you're going to move to a place that you've been called to sit at, you're going to have to let the Spirit of God stretch you. See, so many times we waste years, months, time that was wasted on trying to make something like it used to be. I remember when it felt like this. I remember when it was, I remember when this was the pastor. I remember when this is the way church used to feel. I remember when work used to feel like this. I remember when, when, when it was me and this person and this person and this person. Everything was great. But now all of these are gone. And nothing feels the same anymore. When it was me and my kids at home. On Christmas, I, they, would, they would run around the Christmas tree and, and they would laugh and giggle. And now my children are grown and they're out in college and I have an empty home. It doesn't feel the same anymore. I'm over here now. Now things don't feel right. Relationships aren't the same. People that used to be here are not here anymore. Things that I, things that I really relied on. It's not like that anymore. It's different. Nothing feels the same. My whole world is different now, right? Because it's time to sit in a new seat. It's time to sit in a new seat. It's time to sit 
in. Uh, it, people will sit here and say, I don't like the feeling. I don't, I don't know how I, I've got to. I, I've got to make this feel like this. I've got, to, I've got to get what was there. Here, stop trying to recreate 2005. Stop trying to make it like it used to be. Stop trying to make it feel the way that it used to. God is stretching you into a new seat. He's pulling you out of a place that was desolate. Because if you look back, you remember all the good things that happened. But you remember how broken you were right there. You remember how in this season, yeah, it felt right. Because you remember it that way. But you don't remember the bondage that you were in here. You don't remember the fear that you lived in in this moment. You don't remember all the things, all of the hell that you had to be brought out of and here in deliverance and freedom now I don't feel like that anymore I think some people choose to be bound because they don't know how to live in freedom they're afraid of it what do you mean pastor they're afraid of freedom they don't know how to operate unless somebody's holding something over them Mephibosheth had to get from the place to where he felt like everybody was out to get him, to where he could sit at the place of authority. Well, but my grandpa's not the king anymore. Yeah, but you got a special seat made for you, and only you can sit in it. Nobody else is getting this, but you're getting this because you have been blessed and highly favored. You didn't choose this. You didn't earn this. Nothing you could have done could have made this possible for you, but because you have the right daddy, because you got the right father, because you got the right one who's in charge of your life, you have gotten a seat at a table that wasn't meant for anybody but you. He had to leave. See, what I love about sitting at the king's table is that it's not your past that got you there. It's all about who your daddy is. It isn't about what you've done, and it isn't about who your and it it's about who your father is. It isn't even about who you are. It's all about who has gone before you. The merits and the failures don't qualify or disqualify. It's about who you're connected to. It's all about him. You say, "Well, my daddy ain't no good. I don't have a daddy anymore." It's great. <clears throat> my daddy. What about my, my daddy's gone? Uh, my dad didn't amount to anything. He wasn't somebody I should be looking up to. Okay. But I'm talking about your father. I'm talking about the one who created you. The one who put life inside of your lungs. The one who put marrow inside of your bones. The one who put blood in your veins. I'm talking about the father of all. Learn to feel comfortable in the seat that you've been given because it's not about earning it, it's about inheriting it. Society wouldn't have chosen this seat for you, but the king did. Ha <laughs> ha. And everybody else would have counted you out, but the king didn't. Everybody else would have remembered you and thought about you and where you were. Could you just imagine for a moment what it must have been like to be Mephibosheth? Because no doubt people knew who he was. He's the grandson of the king, for crying out loud. He, and before he was dropped, he wasn't lame in his feet. He's the grandson of the king. There's no doubt. Listen, I'm not saying that, I'm not trying to equate this to being the king. But for years, I would go to church in some place with my parents or with my meemaw and my peepaw. And, and even when they weren't with me, I'd show up and they'd look at me and say, you're Brother Grundy's grandson, aren't you? I said, yes, that's me. They knew who I was because of who my peepaw was. My peepaw's the district superintendent for the Pentecostal Church of God. He was over the whole state of Arkansas. And so he's been in every church. He's been to all of these places. And all of these people grew up around me. And I didn't know who they were. But I'd walk into a church or I'd walk into a room. So we know who you are. Or if I knew that they went to a church like that and they didn't know who I was, I would just say, hey, you probably don't know who I am. Do you, do you know who the Grundys are? Yeah, we know who that is. I'm their grandson. Oh, 
boy, we love them, blah, blah, this, and blah, blah, that. People knew who Mephibosheth was because they knew his grandpa was. Mephibosheth, can you imagine being him again for a second? Ten years after he sat at the king's table continually. It says he moved to Jerusalem, by the way. He didn't go back to Lodabar. After he was given a seat at the king's table, he didn't go back to Lodabar. He ate at the king's table so often that he moved to Jerusalem to be in the city of David because he went so often to sit there with him. Mephibosheth, can you imagine being there, walking around in that palace that your grandpa was in, the throne that your grandpa sat on, the place that your daddy took you, the place that could have felt so violated because it was taken by somebody else. And you're walking around seeing Ziba, the servant of your grandfather. And now you're in a different place. Everybody knew who you were. They knew you went to Lodabar and they didn't tell anybody. They knew that you were, that you were lame. They knew that something had happened to you. They knew things weren't going to go well. But now, here you are sitting at the table. Can you imagine having that? Ha That's greater than winning the lottery. That's a whole lot better because if you won the lottery, you had to sin to get it. So that's a whole lot better than all of those things that could have been. He's looking at this from a totally different perspective at this point. It might not be the place that you're familiar with. It may even be a little uncomfortable at first. But if the king calls you to his table, you take a seat. Mephibosheth found love in a place that he expected judgment. Last thing. The king's benefits. There's going to be some sub points to this one. At the king's table, there are king's benefits. There are certain things that come with sitting at this table. There were certain things that Mephibosheth was given as he was going to take a seat at the king's table. And the first thing is this, a restoration of rights. In the courtroom, David returned to Mephibosheth all the land that was to be inherited by him from his grandfather Saul. Isn't that crazy? Everything that David took that was rightfully his. He's anointed to be the king of Israel. He took it. It's his. He's the king. Everything that was going to be his, give it to Mephibosheth. How incredible. What kind of leader does that? What kind of king does? Everything that was going to be inherited by him by, from his grandfather Saul. This was the land that was going to be his and is now his. Not only is David being generous to him, he is still honoring the predecessor Saul. This one thing about David, it was a seat that he was anointed to sit on. He's called to sit on that throne. Never one time did he disparage the king, even though the king tried to kill him. You can show honor even if you're given no respect. You can show honor even if you are given no respect. Why? Because it wasn't about Saul. It was about the throne that he sat on. It wasn't about Saul at all. It was about honoring the king. You, this, this, is, this would be a great leadership teaching for your staff somewhere one day. And that's this. When you are following people that are being, when people are, are, are leading, are, are following your leadership, and you follow leadership of somebody else, and you know that promotion is coming to you, you don't have to discipline, or you don't have to disparage the people that went before you just because you're going to do things differently. Just because it's different doesn't mean what they did was wrong. Listen, I am where I am today because of the men that went before me. My father and my grandfather opened up an innumerable amount of doors. And everywhere you go in the Pentecostal Church of God, you are going to know who my grandfather is. Everywhere you go in the Assemblies of God, you are going to know who my father is. People know him. Everywhere I go. And so when I would walk in, they'd say, you're Mike's son, aren't you? I said, yes, I am. 
because in this world, being Mike's son's a pretty good thing because my dad's a good dad. And he would open, he opened those doors and opened those doors and opened those doors. My dad would drag me to district council after district council after district council. I went to district council when I was this big. That's what we did. We would go to these things. We would be in every revival service. We would be in all of these places all of the time. And now, because of him doing that, do I do the same things as him? No. Guess what my dad's never going to wear to church on Sunday morning? Air Forces, blue jeans, a t-shirt, and a shacket. He's never going to wear that. I don't care how long he preaches. If he preaches to be 120 years old, he will wear slacks, a button-up, and a coat, and probably a tie. But do I disparage him for that? No. He does it differently than me. Because now, when I walk in to those rooms... People, I'm not, I'm not trying to puff myself up here. Please don't hear that when I'm saying this. When I walk into those rooms, people know who I am now. And I'm taking him with me. Come on, Dad. I want, you to, I want to introduce you to this person. You need to talk to these people. These people need to know who you are. They need the oil that's on your life. They need the well that you are. You have something that I don't. But I know that these people need it. So come with me, Dad. Come on. We need to go talk to this person. You need to meet these people. I need you to be a part of this. Son, I'm 76 years old or 74 years, 73 years old. I don't, why? What kind of purpose do I have in this? Yeah, but you have more than I do. I just need you to come with me. And I drag him along with me. And I'm not disparaging the king that went before me just because I'm going to do things differently. David wasn't going to do it like Saul did. But he did not dishonor Saul. In fact, he did everything to honor him even after he was gone. Even after he was gone. I believe when you take your seat at the king's table, you have things brought back to you that you had once lost. Second thing, I need to move through this because I need to close up, boys. I'm, I'm wrapping this up. Second thing is this, permanent provision. When David gave Mephibosheth the land, what he did was, and the servants of Ziba, what he did was, was forever lock in that Mephibosheth was going to be provided for him. Because he gave him land that was going to be inherited to him from his grandfather. So what is it? You think about this. What would your, what would people, what would your parents and your grandparents leave to you? It's the best of all they had. This wasn't going to be land like he came from. This was fruitful land. And he's got servants to till it and plant it. How do you know that? Because that's exactly what David said. He said, you're going to plant in these fields. And you're going to make sure that he has food on his table. He appointed Saul's servant Ziba, who had 15 sons and 20 servants, to farm and work the land that was given to him so that he'd be fruitful all the days that he was there. David gave him all the land and the farm that he would need to be forever forever fruitful and 35 people to till it for him. He was taken care of. David secured the future of Mephibosheth with this move. At the king's table, there's provision that is continual and unmatched. And not only did he do that, he said, I'm going to give him the land that will put food on his table, but he is going to eat at my table forever. So he made a table at the best, a seat at the table at the best table for him. He said, I'm going to give you the best land, and I'm going to give you the best servants, and then I'm going to give you the best seat. He forever locked in the provision for him. Mephibosheth, who likely went hungry some in his life, would never go without again, would never go without. The last thing, secured sonship. Although he was crippled, and it was interesting that that was the last thing that was denoted about him. He's crippled in both of his feet. Although he's crippled, he ate at the king's table like a son of the king. He wasn't treated like a guest. He was treated like a son. See, guests get one thing, but sons get something else. Daughters get something else. You get things at your parents' house that other people don't. They may eat on the fine china, but you get what's, you get the best of it. You get the best steak. You get the best cut of meat. You get the first bit of everything. From the waist down, Mephibosheth's a cripple. He ate at the table like a son. Of the king, though. 
He wasn't treated like a guest. He's treated like a son. I appreciate guest privileges, but I'd rather have sonship. With no father, Mephibosheth found comfort and sonship at the king of the table. Because remember, his daddy was best friends with David. So it was like him getting a father back again. He lost his father and he needed one. He needed one to provide for him and protect him. And David, because of Jonathan, looked down at Mephibosheth and said, I'm going to make him a son. Can you imagine that though? He treated him like a son. And so what he probably did was, I can imagine... He pulls up to the table. And he pulls up to the table because if you eat at the king's table and you're treated like a son, you look like one. Can you imagine that one day Jonathan or Mephibosheth walks in there? I like to let my mind run this way, and it's just me. Mephibosheth cripples himself in there on his, on his, on his, uh, his crutches. He gets himself in there into the, into the palace. And it's likely that there's a servant there that met him that said, come here, son. Let me help you out. And he takes him back to a different room. And he reaches in the closet and pulls out one of Jonathan's old cloaks. And he takes it. I can't prove this. I'm just, I like to let my mind run this way. And he pulls out one of Jonathan's old cloaks, rings it out. And he says, let me put this on you. And he wraps it around him. And then they lead him into the dining hall. And here he comes. He comes in there and he probably just kind of stumbles down and falls down on his seat and reclines there. Because they didn't have tables like we do. They did things a little differently. He reclines there and pulls himself up underneath the table. And when David comes in and sits down in his kingly attire, Comes in and sits down. He looks across the table and he sees Jonathan there. Or Jonathan. Sees Mephibosheth there. Wearing Jonathan's clothes. And he remembers. That I'm going to treat this one like my son. Because of what my friend did. And forever he gives him the very best. Being at the king's table is something that is unmatched. It's not like anything else. He looks at him and from the waist up he sees his son. And all along we know that from the waist down he's as crippled as he can be. When God looks at you and me, we know that there's flaws about us. We know that there's things that aren't right. We know there's things about us that we would like to change. Maybe you wouldn't like to say those words. Maybe you wouldn't like to do those things. Maybe you wouldn't like to have those feelings. Maybe you wouldn't like to participate in this. Maybe you wish that you didn't lie. Maybe you wish that you could change some things that you did in your past. And we know that we can't really change what happened before. I can't go back in time. But there was a man named Jesus that came and paid a penalty for me and you so that we could have a seat at a table with him and with the Father. And when Jesus died, his blood paid for that so that it would be possible for me to be there. And one day, we're going to sit down at a table, the king's table, at a dinner that's called the marriage supper of the lamb. And we're going to sit down. There's going to be food galore. And when we get there, the clothes that we're going to have, they're not going to have holes in their pants like I do. They're not going to have... Uh, darker, whited out clothes. We're going to get a glorified, we're going to change our garments out for something that's as pure white as you could possibly imagine. And we're going to sit down at that table. Will we have new bodies? Yes. But we won't have forgotten what happened here. But the sin that's covered up at that table will never be seen or remembered by God. Why? Because he cast it as far as the east is from the west into the sea of forgetfulness. He doesn't remember it that way. And when Jonathan or when David looks over there and he sees that young man sitting at that table, he doesn't remember that the Saul 
tried to kill him so many times. He doesn't remember all the pain that he had to go through and endure with his brothers to get to this place. He looks and remembers the one that he loved and says, I'm going to show this one kindness. Today, you have the opportunity to know the Lord. We have the opportunity to know him and in his fullness. But even more than that, I think there's some of us that need to stretch ourselves to a new seat and believe the Lord that we don't have to stay in a place of forgetfulness or fruit or fruitlessness or of no pasture. We can go to the place that's been prepared for us at the king's table. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and our time together. Lord, we love you. And I thank you that you have made us, Lord, a place. A place at your table. Lord, I didn't deserve to be there. There's nothing I could have done that would have made me worthy of sitting with you. But Lord, I know it's because of Jesus that that place is made for me. And Lord, if there's a seat at your table for me, then I refuse to stay in bondage to what was because I know that you are a merciful and good God. You show mercy and kindness to me when I don't deserve it. When I could not have, when, 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 when I could have cared less about you, you cared more for me. So, Lord, I commit that to you. If you're here today with every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody's looking around or doing anything else. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I'm, I'm away from the Lord. And the thing that I need most is to be in relationship with Jesus. Because right now I know I don't have a seat at that table. If that's you, I just want you to put your hand up and put it right back down. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, what it is, is I know that I've lived in a place that in the past has been fruitless. But I'm ready to change my seat. I'm ready to move from a place of no pasture to a place with pasture, with fruit. I'm ready to take my seat at the king's table. If that's you, I just want you to put your hand up. You're saying, I'm leaving, I'm leaving fruitlessness behind and I'm, I'm, ready, I'm ready to sit at the king's table, the place that is full of provision, the place that is protected Praise the Lord for that. Father, over every person in this room, Lord, would you let our seats not be vacant due to fear of what could be. But Lord, in our, in our weakness, we know that you are made strong. And so Lord, in the weakness of our bodies, we look to you as the perfecter of all things. And Lord, we're believing that what you have prepared for us, we will, we will occupy. And Lord, I thank you that you have looked at us, a servant of the king, and have called us to sit at your table and live in the city of God. And so, Lord, I declare today that those that are hearing this word are moving from their seat into the place that you have prepared in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for worshiping with us. Thank you for hearing this today. When you leave, when you get up, let it be a prophetic declaration when you stand that you are leaving all of the pain behind. When you walk out of here, you're going to leave this place and go sit in another seat to get out of here. Let it be a prophetic declaration between you and the Lord that you are leaving behind the place of no pasture and going to sit in the place that has been provided for.
at the King's table. God bless you. We'll see you tonight. Bye.